The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is Tyler Cook, the guy who's drawing Harold County, and you're listening to THN with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, and happy to be spending a long weekend with you. It is my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 209, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 20th. My name's Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baum, on Twitter. And when I'm not throwing my back out at last night's Judas pre-show, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. True story. I'm in a load of pain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not confusing Rob Halford with D, I'll have you know, I know the difference between Rob Halford and D Snyder. D Snyder is on all of the VH1 television programs. Oh my God. And Rob Halford is the gay one. What was, <laughs> what was D Snyder's band? Twisted Sister. Okay, good, good, good. I've seen Flight of the Navigator, Matt. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, you're going to hear our reviews of Insufferable, number one, and A-Force, number one. After that, we're going to review 10 more of this week's new comics. Faster than the CW Flash and the WB Flash can compete to sew a new outfit for Madeline Pryor during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll revisit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I are sipping some wine and revisiting some of our favorite Letterman moments with Larry Bud Melman. Well, that guy is dead for sure. And talking about some of next week's comics. And finally, we're going to review a whole damn graphic novel during our Take a Look. It's in a book segment. This month, we'll be taking a look at the realist from Boom! But... Before we get this nerdy rodeo started, I just want to take a second to wish you all a happy Memorial Day and long weekend. And let's just be thankful for a moment that the GOP has stopped denying climate change to support a child molester. Then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. This week, Midwest Tape, a media distributor for libraries, announced the rollout of its new ebook service. Thousands of comic titles will now be available through the company's digital platform on cassette Hoopla, (laughs) which currently offers libraries access to movies, music, audiobooks and TV shows to read comics on Hoopla digital library card holders at participating libraries can use a free mobile app or visit Hoopla digital.com. Hoopla has partnerships with more than 786 public library systems across North America. What sets Hoopla apart from other ebook services is that titles will be available on a multi-user basis as opposed to the one-copy, one-user models that are prevalent in the library market, which we are going to break down in just a second. Yeah, I... Whew. Hoopla founder Jeff Jankowski called the old model a relic of the analog past. No sh- Much like libraries. And, com- <laughs> <laughs> and compared the long waits for popular ebook titles to the dissatisfaction users felt with old video rental stores with hoopla ebooks are always instantly available 24 7 and every time a book is borrowed the publisher gets paid now matt i think this is a great step to bringing libraries into the present and to potentially create new comic fans do you think it can help grow the industry's audience I think this is a good thing, and I don't want to sound like a jerk, and I'm not anti-library, but I do feel like the library system as a whole has really become kind of an artifact. That's not this discussion, though. I know, Because a lot of people still use libraries. And that's true, but my question is, I guess, 
because of that thinking, I should say, I just don't know what this is actually going to do for readership. Well, I mean, I hope it's good. I hope people are into it. I have not set foot in a library, I'll bet, in 15 years. Here's where this really catches me off guard. Before this, ebooks were no better than print books, which meant libraries had one digital copy. Yeah. And if somebody was borrowing it, too bad. That's just so dumb. I don't understand. Yeah, how what, how what, can that be? What was it? <laughs> like, what did you give them? I, did they get like an e-reader with it on it? And then you had to bring the reader back? Is it like when you go to Olive Garden and they give you that coaster that I vibrates? Yeah, I don't know. When your time is up, it vibrates and you have to bring it you back. Bring the e-book back. I'm yeah. sorry. We're out of vibrating coasters. But I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, a homeless person is reading it in the bathroom. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're talking about digital files. How could it possibly have been the, the way things were done? I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Matt has checked out this week's copy of, I don't know, uh, Daredevil number seven yeah. from 2012. Sorry. Hopefully he'll bring it back soon. It's crazy. <laughs> so this is definitely a better way to do it. And I hope it's a good thing. I just, I, I don't know, man. Like the fact that libraries exist at all anymore blows me away. At the very least, even though you and I don't necessarily benefit from this sort of service, at least it's a huge step to kind of modernizing the process and to saying to people, hey, you want to check out a book? All you need is a library card For and an app. To the wretchedly poor, hey, if you want to check out a book, <laughs> if you want to read comics, you have an outlet for that. And I think it's great. And good Lord, welcome to the future. Yes. Hopefully I didn't offend our wretchedly poor listeners out there. I <laughs> well, I'm one of them. It's all right. <laughs> the Flash concluded its first season on the CW Network this past Tuesday with a finale that surely tickled Joe Patrick's nerd pickle. He wrote that, by the way. I did not. Gross. But before fans could even process what they witness on screen, the show's stars and producers have opened up about what viewers can expect from season two. Joe Patrick, are you ready for... I like this. Like, it's not the multiverse and it's not infinite crisis. It's infinite earths. Well, I wrote that. I wrote that. The they, multiverse. They multiverse. Alternate okay. okay. The multiverse is a DC comic staple first introduced in the pages of the flash. So it's only natural to see it explored on the show without getting too spoilery about the events of the finale. Flash producer Andrew Kreisberg, who wrote a bunch of comics that nobody cared about, confirmed wow. the departure of some of the characters, the unexpected return of others, and lasting ramifications for some of the finale's more cosmic moments. In an interview with TV Guide, star and boyfriend of Joe Patrick, Grant Gustin, spilled the beans on the show's plan. He's America's explore, boyfriend. It's true. We, he belongs to all of us. <laughs> They're planning to explore the multiverse, saying, quote, there's going to be multiple timelines as we move forward. I think we're going to start showing Earth 1 and Earth 2 in the near future. Break it down for us, Joey. What does this mean for the DC TV universe? And more importantly, how inappropriately excited are you right now? I lost my pants 30 minutes ago. That's how inappropriately excited I am. I'm glad you care. I do care. I care. I care a lot. I think it's awesome. And the reason I think this is actually noteworthy and worth mentioning is because we have spent a lot of time on this show wondering what the hell DC is doing with different versions of different characters right. and different properties on different networks and then not connecting them. Like the Supergirl show is not in the same universe as the Flash show because obviously she exists in a world where Superman is a thing now and okay. the flash doesn't time out time out before we all start 
shaking each other's hands. <laughs> do you really think that they went into it with that in mind? Or do you think somebody went, uh, you know, it's uh, multiple Earths. <laughs> like, really? I mean, honestly. You know, I don't know. And I don't think it really matters. But if that's something that they can do to kind of explain why the things we see on the arrow uh, and the flash are different than the universe we see on Constantine. Certainly it's not our, legal reasons. Well, you won't see that universe anymore. It's Constantine. Is I'm just saying, <laughs> well, you keep saying legal reasons, but it's all one parent company. I, well, I get it's one parent company that is doling their stuff out to companies that they don't own. So <sighs> no, they're selling the rights to other people to do stuff with their character. Yeah, but I guarantee you that if CBS does not have the rights to Supergirl, they are airing the Supergirl show. It's not like, Fox has the rights to Fantastic Four, and all of a sudden, Marvel stops making Fantastic Four merchandise. No, but they did buy the TV rights to Supergirl, and they don't have the TV rights to anything else. Yes, but I'm saying if given the chance to tie things into their massively popular TV uh, branches and on other networks, they would be fools not to jump at it. So you think that like Arrow might make an appearance on the Supergirl show? I'm saying that it opens the door. It opens the door. Won't happen won't happen you've said this about other things won't happen you remember spider-man and sony I do. and marvel and that was a rare once in a lifetime yep, thing right. and we still once don't, in a lifetime we still don't even know what's going to happen there before you get all excited so we'll see yes we do if superman sh- or if spider-man swings through the screen they go who's that they go oh that was spidey and we never see him again in a marvel movie <laughs> like then they're, they're gonna be they like are making, yay <laughs> they are making a spider-man movie set in the marvel cinematic I get, universe I get, that not, is a fact we're not going back into that i'm saying yes because you're wrong there's no way this happens between the tv companies no um, way. it opens the door i'm excited about it and i love the fact that they are just going buck wild exploring all these crazy silver agey sci-fi cosmic concepts they're not scared of them i'm not trying to be cynical but yes this, you are this is just a quick fix is all it is it's not even i'm not even no they one is went, saying oh yeah multiple worlds no 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 one has come out and said this is how we're explaining our tv universes that's just me saying okay Hey, look, wouldn't it be cool if you are extrapolating? I think it's awesome that they're doing alternate timelines and they're doing the multiverse on the flash. I think it's great. I think I will say that the flash on the DC television show and and I'm not going to go as far as arrow, but some of the other characters they've introduced right now, the DC TV universe feels more like the DC universe to me than the DC comic book universe. I will say that. Absolutely. According to the Hollywood Reporter's Heat Vision blog, Dynamite Entertainment has teamed up with Smosh for a new line of comic titles. What in the f*** is Smosh? Well, Smosh is a web-based comedic duo comprised of Anthony Padilla and Ian Andrew Hecox. The two began posting videos under the Smosh name in 2005 and the channel, which apparently boasts tens of millions of subscribers. Seriously? Tens of millions. (laughs) Really? It's a network of YouTube channels. It's not just one YouTube channel. Tens of millions. So they have like a better viewership than most of the shows on the learning channel. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) While no titles have been announced yet, Padilla and Hecox will be involved in every aspect of the creation, working on new and existing characters. The first title from the partnership is due out this winter. Matt, who the hell wrote Dynamite's business plan? I don't know. And after watching a little bit of their YouTube channel, it seems like they mainly deal in parodies, nerd parodies, video game and movie parodies, M- movies. And there was some gaming stuff, too. Like there was a Magic the Gathering thing and a Pokemon thing. And you, uh, oh, right. So all manner of just nerd 
parody stuff. And it looked like garbage. And that's, you know, funny Look, funny enough for people that like it. I'm a, nope. I'm going to put, I'm going to be, the, I'm going to allow me to put on You're my map bomb man. suit. Wow. I'm wearing my map bomb suit today. That looks like total garbage. All I'm saying is tens of millions of viewers can't be wrong. Okay. That's all I'm saying. So, do you know how many people watch The Big Bang Theory? <laughs> more, well, hope th- more than tens of millions. Yeah, I'll give you that. You know how many people watch Survivor? Not more than tens of millions. <laughs> okay, and that's a big show on the same network. Sometimes I watch Survivor. Oh, let's not do this. My point being, what they do seems to lend itself very well to YouTube, for example, where you can do a bunch of like five minute parody type films that are funny and jump back and forth and are real quick and you know, what have you videos. How are you going to translate this to comic books? So it's gotta be that they aren't doing adaptations of their own work. They're like creating new work, right? They're certainly not going to be able to do like an assassin's creed parody at dynamite in a comic book because dark horse has the rights to the assassin's creed. Oh yeah. For one thing, they can't do parodies of anything. That's just really without licensing. Yeah. And and this seems to be their bread and butter. So my question is, what are they going to do? I don't get it. They're not gonna be able to walk in and be like, all right, it's time for final fantasy parody. And here's your star Trek parody. Those are all licensed properties. Well, but parody is protected. You can do parody and not get in trouble for it, but suppose, but they won't be able to like name it directly and stuff like that. Right. It's just, it's very strange. Like I want to know, does dynamite think like, let's say Smosh's YouTube network has 30 million subscribers. Jesus. What percentage of those people do you think are going to go? Oh man, they're making Smosh comic books now. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. This could be because huge. even if it is ten percent, it would instantly make Dynamite the most successful. Comic yeah, book company I mean, they feel like they just sold the world three hundred thousand comics. Yeah, you know, I mean that's amazing, right? So I don't know. This will either be the biggest thing we've ever seen that old farts like you and I don't understand or know anything about, or we'll vaguely remember talking about this on the show I'll, a year from now. I'll say this though, <laughs> to be perfectly fair. It does seem like a more modern version of exactly what Ben Acker and Ben Blacker are doing at Image. Yeah. It's just that we really like that stuff. Well, it's clever (laughs) and well-written, and this is sort of, I think maybe it's for a younger audience. A younger, dumber audience. Quite possibly. Or a younger, more stoned audience. Lay it on us. We're calling out to you guys. If you know what the hell Smosh is, if you think it's got any redeeming value. Are you a Smosh fan? Are you a Smoshster? Are you a smosher? A smosher? A smosh head? Have you been in the smosh pit lately? Have you been in the smosh pit? <laughs> Welcome to the smosh pit. Are you caught in a smosh? I a, want to it's know. It's an anthrax reference. We've, Anybody? Crickets? Come on. <laughs> caught in a smosh. There you go. We want to know. Please call in mb3 whatever yeah. tell us what smosh is why it's go to the good, forums go to lay it on me and lay it why on you're us. excited about a comic book version of it because right now i don't get it yeah me either i don't know that's the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories or everything else we missed Hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I are discussing our YouTube channel that currently has just under four subscribers, I think. And we're hoping Dynamite picks us up next. So maybe, just maybe, you can finally get the untold tales of the two-headed nerd. I'm just waiting for that Dynamite money, baby. Maybe. Written by Ron Mars with art by Dennis Calero. <laughs> <laughs> hey. 
Every Sunday, failed YouTube sensation Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question comes from that sad baby Doc Flux. So depressing, that guy. Who is the most depressing character in comics? Someone that is a real emotional drag. So we're talking about someone that just like wallows in soul pain constantly. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love just it. Just a real brutal bummer. I love it. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, May 29th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. Two at a nerd is the username, all one word, or call the Ziggurat hotline 402 819 4894. You can also send an MP3 to two at a nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. We're harsh. We're tough, but fair. If you need more time than that, feel free to write to your heart's content in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. Then tune in next Wednesday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. Coolest show on the the best show on the internet. It is review time on THN where Joe and I peel back the pages of two of this week's new comics and pretend we can read. Joe, tell me about the pretty pictures you looked at this week. Oh, I will. Uh, This week I am reviewing Insufferable number one from Thrillbent, courtesy of IDW in print form, written by Mark Wade with art by Peter Krause. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. What happens when your crime-fighting sidekick grows up to be an arrogant, ungrateful douchebag who makes Kanye look humble? Worse, what on earth could force the two of you together for one last case? Nocturnus and his former protege Galahad will find out if they don't... Protege. Nocturnus and his former protege Galahad will find out (laughs) if they don't kill one another first. Few writers are as capable of taking the well-worn superhero genre and finding new ways to breathe life into it as Mark Wade. He's been doing it for nearly 30 years now, both in the big two sandboxes and his own. Insufferable follows the themes explored in his other creator-owned books, Irredeemable, also with Krause on art, and Incorruptible, What If Iconic Character X Was Y. This time, it's with Batman and Robin analogs Nocturnus and Galahad, a father and son crime-fighting duo whose strained relationship has finally caused the younger hero to strike off on his own. The issue starts with Galahad taking credit for his father's defeat of Fossor, Crimes Undertaker, after the villain tried to ransom a child if the city didn't fund his Kickstarter campaign. That was great. More or less. <laughs> after a few moments of grandstanding in front of the media, Galahad heads off to party while his old man downs some painkillers and turns in for the night. Wade steps back and lets Krause and colorist Nolan Woodard highlight the differences between the two characters over the course of a few brilliantly illustrated silent pages. Through flashbacks scattered throughout the issue, we get a sense of the family's past from both Nocturnus's and Galahad's perspective, and Wade shows us that growing up in the shadow of a hero may not have been all that great. Krause draws in a classic style reminiscent of Brent Anderson or Lee Weeks, and he's a great fit for this kind of story. Brent Anderson, that's a good call. Woodard's colors bring contrast to the separate lives of Nocturnus and Galahad, splitting the issue between dark blues and grays and more vibrant hues. Wade's work is often the counterpoint to the old phrase, it's all been done. He's a master at tweaking the classic tropes we know and love and finding new ways to explore them. He and Krause are a powerhouse creative team, and this is another strong effort from two greats. Be aware, this was originally published online at thrillbenton.com, where it continues today. The story has been progressing since 2013. But if you're like me and you don't discover cool things until way after the fact... This is an absolute buy it. Okay, so this is volume one, number one. Volume one, number one. That's what I wasn't well, real clear on. If you look at the website, you can see that the chapters, uh, 
what would be one print issue is actually multiple smaller chapters. Right. So this might be volume one chapters like one through five. Okay. Or okay. something like that. Yeah, I love this as well. These two these two guys have been doing these series of this sort of character study. Incorruptible. And, or irredeemable, rather, irredeemable was the big one. And incorruptible was the other one. They've been doing this for a while, and the formula is fantastic. And each time they could just kind of take a hero and turn him on their head. This time we've got Batman and Robin, essentially. Yeah. Only Robin has grown up and he is a dick. Now, he may have some good reason to be kind of Nocturnus is not a good dude, apparently. Yeah, we don't totally know. But this was just excellent. And it had a very classic feel to it. It had a very 80s feel to me. I mean, it was a modern day story. But the way that Krause illustrates has this very solid 80s comic feel for me. I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Huge buy for me, too. Matt Bomb, tell us about this week's feminist propaganda. It is ladies' night in the ziggurat, baby, and it's time to talk about A-Force number one from Marvel, written by Marguerite Bennett and G. Willow Wilson. I just call it G for short. Art by Jorge Molina. 32 pages. I call him Jorg. $3.99. Finally, readers get the all-female super team packed full of all your favorite Marvel heroines they've been screaming for. It's only one big problem, though. Part of a tie-in story to a huge event, Secret Wars, that some of you may not have any interest in. Well, good listeners, you're in luck, because Matt is here to tell you, you can pick this one up without having to drop hundreds of dollars on all the other tie-ins. Bennett and Wilson do a great job dropping the reader into the island of Arcadia. Arcadia looks like a beautiful island nation, much like Greece, I felt like, with a sizable population that's protected by the all-female A-Force. Now, I should say there are men and women there. The solicitation kind of made it sound like a Themyscira type thing, like it was possibly an island of all women, but yeah. it's not. No, It's just men and women there. There's just all the super people. The ladies are in charge. Seem to be ladies, and they're in charge. A brief setup on the title page brings readers up to speed, and from there, boom, it's go time. Some of the characters are wearing different yet iconic costumes than you might recognize. Disco Dazzler and Roller Skates for example, but you'll be able to pick out most of them. Some may not be familiar with characters like Miss America and Sister Grimm, but I like the choices the writer made of featuring these lesser-known characters. Jean Grey, for example, is in this comic, but she's a background piece only, while She-Hulk is leading the team. Dazzler and Pixie are given some action, while Spider-Woman and Medusa are really just support characters. It's cool to see them featuring some minor female characters rather than the usual A-list ladies. In the hands of other writers, this comic could read like one giant female character with many costumes. But Ben and Wilson do an excellent job of giving each character in this huge ensemble book a very separate and very personal voice. There's real humanity expressed here when the seemingly perfect Arcadia starts to show cracks, when Miss America breaks one of Lord Doom's laws, and She-Hulk is forced to hand her over to the Thor Corps, essentially. Of course... This is a comic book, so there has to be some fight scenes, but the writers don't go for the predictable I can do anything you can do better woman versus man conflict and instead shows Arcadia being attacked by a monster from the sea. Artist Jorge Molina just gets better every time I see this guy's work, and this comic book is gorgeous. His backgrounds are so solid here that Arcadia literally becomes a character in the book as much as any of the ladies. This could have come off as a heavy-handed feminist rant, but it didn't at all. Instead, we get a very well-written comic book starring capable and clothed female heroes. Now, that was exactly how I felt 
after my first read. I've had some time away from it and I've been thinking about it. And I walked into this knowing what's going on in Secret Wars. So it just sort of glanced past me that some of the characters are wearing older costumes. They're all together. Some of them even have team costumes on and they're just sort of living comfortably together all on this island. A lot of people responded to this book online going, what in the f*** is going on? I think they just got excited because it was like an all-female team assembled. Yeah. And they went, I'm going to check that out. And if you don't know what's going on in Secret Wars, the title page, it says, you know, Battle World is assembled of all these different areas. It doesn't really tell you why they are there or why they're not questioning why they're all together or why they have just accepted what's happening in the but world. This is, let me counterpoint to that. I don't think they know that anything's wrong. That's just it. That's where I'm going with the that. characters. Don't understand that their lives are different than they should be. But there's also nothing in this comic that alludes to that yet. But and I'm not saying it has if to. you're not reading secret wars, then why do you care? That's true. And that if could you be read, true. if you read secret wars, then you know why the world's different. You know why these characters are in different situations and you understand that they do not know their histories have been changed. Yes. But that is going to come into play in this book. It'll it, come up. Yeah, it has to. Oh, absolutely. And maybe it'll be handled very well. For now, I'm giving this a qualified buy it. I'm giving it a qualified buy it because it is a very good comic book. It is definitely a tie in. And I think this could suffer a little bit the way that Spider-Woman suffered from the Spider-Verse tie ins. Yes. Starting and the issue there. I think this book will continue after Secret Wars I think is the done. plan is, is that when Secret Wars is over and the Marvel Universe writes itself, A-Force will relaunch as a more traditional team book. I think so. And that's great. But you are right. Reading this first arc, going back to it when Secret Wars is over, it's going to feel disconnected. Weird. I feel. It's going to feel weird. But that's just based on one issue. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I did too. The art is great. Uh, I didn't have a problem with the concept because obviously I read every comic I put right. in my hands, Right. but I can understand how that might trip some people up. Just know that if you don't understand everything right now, that's okay. Cause neither do the characters. It's true. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. So that is a double buy it for insufferable number one and a double buy it for a force number one. As always, we want to know what you egomaniacs and badass babes thought of these comics. So make like Miss America tossing a shark and throw your opinions at us over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. After Marvel heard the complaints about Madeline Pryor's outfit on the cover of Inferno number one that featured her underboobage. Not a word, by the way. They agreed to change the costume on the cover, which gave us an idea. Matt and I have recruited a team of your favorite speedsters to battle it out Project Runway Style to see who can design the best new costume for Madeline. So sit back next to us in your folding director's chair and let's see who is in and who is out. Speedster designers, you have about five minutes to make it work while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Ride! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Zero Rewards Battle World number one from Marvel! This anthology tie-in features rotating characters and creators, and it seems like the more insane the better. The lead story follows the journey of Frank Castle, possessed by the ghost of Doctor Strange, it was cool. under attack by a demonic version of the new Fantastic Four from the early 90s. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> MODOK summons an army of his parallel selves in the second story, Not and as cool. things get really ridiculous really fast. 
For a pointless tie-in, this was a ton of fun. It's far from necessary. I'm giving it a strong skimmit. I'm giving it a plain old skimmit. Oh, calm down. Yeah. Master of Kung Fu, number one from Marvel. I was very happy to find out that the story of drunken master Shang-Chi is a Secret Wars tie-in and hopefully not permanent. But I have to admit, fighter Hayden Blackman hits a bunch of my 70s Kung Fu movie buttons and the art by Dalibor Talajic and Goran Suzuka was really great. Yeah, beautiful. One panel in particular shows Shang-Chi in the center while his arms and legs appear all around him, clobbering his victims. It was cool as hell. This was way more fun than I thought it would be, but uh, why are the Morlocks living in the Kung Fu corner of Battleworld? Well, a lot of them were like Kung Fu versions of existing characters. I thought that was neat. But there was a bunch of Morlocks there. Yeah, but so was Kitty Pride, and uh, there was Lockheed that looked like a giant green dragon. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Still, buy it. Thought it was great. Planet Hulk, number one from Marvel. Sam Humphreys and Mark Lamming bring us the Secret Wars tie-in we've all been waiting for. Barbarian gladiator Captain America riding Devil Dinosaur. Are you serious? Yeah, and it's just as much, <laughs> and it's just as great as you'd expect. I want to stop recording and read it now. <laughs> Lamming's art gets a little inconsistent at times, just a little here and there, but it's pretty enjoyable otherwise. I admit it. I wasn't sure this would be as much fun as it looked, but it totally was. The origin of Planet Hulk backup by Greg Pak and Takeshi Miyagawa is just icing on the cake. Buy it! Mad Max Fury Road, Nux and Immortan Joe, number one from Vertigo. If you saw Mad Max Fury Road and you didn't love it, you're an idiot, and I probably have nothing in common with you. If you did love what it... What if you didn't see it? Then you will love this. You're an idiot for not seeing it yet. I've been busy! Director George Miller teams with his co-writer Nico Lathoris and lead storyboard artist Mark Sexton and gives us the story of Nux, the warboy turned hero, and Immortan Joe with art help from Leandro Fernandez, Ricardo Burcharelli, and Andrea Moody. That's a hell of a team. This book is pitch perfect, it's terrifying, it's hopeless, and it sheds some light on the side characters that there was just no time for in the movie because they were too busy blowing up. <laughs> I want more of this now. It was awesome. Buy it. And Joe Patrick, go see the goddamn movie. I know, I know. Listen. I read this, and I have not seen the movie. You can read it without fear of spoilers. Absolutely. Uh, for reference, for those of you that have seen the trailer but not the movie, Nux is the guy in the trailer that's like, oh, what a lovely day. Well, yeah, yeah. And I will say, we both said, like, why are they putting this out after if it's a prequel? It makes perfect sense. It was supposed to come out before, though. <laughs> uh, see, I don't know. I, it works either way. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, kill strike number one from Boom! Say anything from man, Max Bemis is back with a tongue-in-cheek homage to the worst that 90s comics had to offer. The Liefeldian Killstrike literally steps out of the pages of an old comic, forcing himself into the life of a former fan. Great art by Logan Farber. Silly, very meta, but I enjoyed it. I'm giving it a buy it. It's time for you to admit that you're the biggest Say Anything fan in the world. Just admit it. I don't even know what Say Anything is. All is it a band? All you do is give Max Bemis buy it. <laughs> I can't know. I haven't read any other Sam B. Max yeah, yeah, yeah. Comics, you have absolutely have. Yes. There was the depressed guy one. Oh, yeah. Neverboy? Was that yeah, him? Yeah. You gave that a buy. But I only read the first issue. <laughs> you really liked it. And I didn't read Translucent, Lucid, which was his other one. I read that one, which I thought was fine. Valhalla Mad, number one from Image. Writer Joe Casey proves he can write Kirby-era Thor dialogue with the best of them, and Paul Mayberry is the perfect weirdo artist for this story of a Warriors 3 analog visiting New York City for the gluttonalia. Mayberry blends Jack Kirby with his own bizarre style to great effect. But I'm not sure what Casey is going for here. 
The story is basically the Warriors 3 bar hopping in New York. There's really no payoff or even much comedy to cling to. I found this a little too long and boring, but I'm giving it a skim it from Mayberry's art alone. Skim it. Shaft number six from Dynamite. This series has been an amazing read. It really has. It's so good. And this issue is the conclusion of what I hope is just the first story arc. It is. David Walker's story is full of corrupt cops, gangsters, and politicians with Shaft caught in the middle looking for justice, revenge, or both. Bilkis Evely. Wow. Yeah. Just kills it on the art. She is amazing. Don't miss out on this book. I really, really hope they have more in store. Huge buy it. Donald Duck, number one from IDW. Once again, IDW proves that not only do they know what made classic Disney Duck comics great, but they know exactly who to put in charge of making more with the same spirit and comedic timing in mind. This was just excellent classic Disney Duck storytelling. I loved this far more than I thought I would. And now I desperately want to revisit the Carl Barks classic Duck stories. If you feel out of touch with the never-ending event books of Marvel and DC, look no further. This was funny, it was well-drawn, and it was just great. I'm giving this a buy it. Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, number one from IDW. Chris Ryall and Tony Akins bring Douglas Adams' quirky detective to comics, and as far as I can tell, they do a pretty good job. I've never read any of the Dirk Gently books. I've read them all. So one of you will have to let me know if they royally screwed up the adaptation. They did not. Fun story by Ryle, great art by Akins. For the most part, there were four uninked pages at the beginning of the issue for no reason. See, I thought maybe that was just a preview I got. No, no. The first four pages of this comic are not inked. And you might say, oh, well, that's because this scene takes place uh, in flashback order. No. It looked weird. Because the last page is the first page of a new scene it's just they just missed it yeah it looks something happened but overall once the inker steps in it's beautiful this might resonate more with fans of the books but as someone who has no connection to the source material i really enjoyed it i'm giving it a buy it i have a huge connection to the books i really enjoyed it too buy it psycho bonkers number one from aspen just as the title suggests this comic is both psycho and bonkers this is the story what about bananas is it bananas Uh, not quite bananas no This is the story of Shine, a young female racer on the bonk circuit racing. Jesus. On the bonk racing circuit in the shadow of her father and grandfather in an artificially intelligent car on a track that reminded me of something out of Mario Kart. There's zero setup for the story that I assume takes place in the future. I'm not sure who this is geared to, but it's certainly not written for 40-year-old men listening to Neil Young and smoking pot. I'm giving this a skim it. Maybe it's geared towards people that are caught in a smush. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Very well could be. I'm giving it a skim it because it was not poorly executed. All right. Screech! You're so quiet, you can get a lot. That is your ludicrous speed round and screech is the sound of Shine's car coming in for a landing as seen in Psycho Bonkers number one. But not bananas. Now... Kick your computer into overdrive and rear-end us with your reviews of this week's comics at the This Week's Comics section of the THN Forums. David Letterman ended his tenure as late-night TV's most sarcastic host this past week, and Joe and I are going to miss him very much. Personally, I grew up studying Letterman's straight-faced delivery and perfectly self-deprecating brand of comedy. His genius is such that it spreads to just about everything we consider comedy in America. Because Joe and I weren't ready to say goodbye, 
we called our good friend and necromancer, the dreaded Dormammu, to raise the corpse of Larry Bud Melman himself to recount some of his favorite Letterman moments. Joe, while Larry's corpse fumbles with his glasses, why don't you tell the listeners what you're excited to read next week? Next week? Is that really your pick? It really is. (laughs) I guess mine's no better. (laughs) No, it's not. Next week? I can't help it, y'all. I am excited for Convergence number eight. You have been let down by just about every Convergence book you've read. No, untrue. There was like two that you've liked. Untrue. (laughs) This is from DC Comics, written by Jeff King and Scott Lobdell. All these Convergence books are getting like one and two stars. Yeah, with art by Carlo Pagulian and Steven Segovia. Solicit. All the heroes of the DC Universe unite to face a crisis of infinite proportions. See what they did there? But when all is done, there can be only one reality. But will even that survive the battle? Better question. Will we even recognize it afterwards? <laughs> Why are you excited okay, about okay. this? So let's back up. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that I am excited about Convergence <laughs> number eight. The idea is you're supposed to be pumped. What I am is very curious to see what is left when Convergence is over. Because Would you say morbidly curious? I have heard rumors that there will be... That DC is going to find a way to let certain things uh, survive past convergence. I'm not saying they're going to go back to the old before New 52 stuff. I'm not saying that the New 52 is going away. I'm just saying that there's enough curiosity there (laughs) that I'm interested in seeing what happens, what's left when it's over, and how they pull it off. Okay. I'm going to read it too because I am morbidly curious. (laughs) Sort of like when there's a car accident on the side of the road. And like, you don't want to look, but maybe there's a dead guy there, you know, like, oh, there is a dead guy. Oh, I can't take my eyes off it. (laughs) Matt, what is your pick for next week? Canadians rejoice. Your favorite superhero is back. Captain Canuck 2015. Number one from Chapter House Publishing, written and drawn by Kalman Androsofsky. I love that guy. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, I haven't seen him in years. I know. 36 pages, 399. Here's your solicit. Captain Canuck is a reboot of the classic Canadian comic book hero, eh? Created in 1975 by Richard Comley and Ron Leishman, huh? This all-new series reimagines Canuck as a kinetic and accessible 21st century icon. Born of the true north, tested in war, Captain Canuck is thrust into battle at the head of the Global Crisis Intervention Agency called Equilibrium, eh? He must find his way as a warrior, a leader, and ultimately hero to save humanity from the machinations of Mr. Gold, Blue Fox, and the even more menacing forces that watch from the shadows. Take off! Captain oh, is back! Mr. Gold, what a hoser! Okay, check it out. Uh, young Matt Bomb. Very young Matt Bomb. Yeah. Goes, goes into a comic book shop called Star Realm. That used to... I am familiar town. with it. And young Matt Bomb loves Alpha Flight. Heavy into Alpha Flight. Sees a copy of Captain Canuck and goes, Oh, shit, man. The Vindicator is in another book. <laughs> because I was an idiot. I was like 10 or 11 or so. I was like, take it home. You don't know nothing. It was not the Vindicator. That said, I still have my Captain Canuck comic book. Excited for this. And Kevin Androwski is good. And the cover looks awesome. Looks oh. really cool. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. And I'm sorry to our Canadian brethren. <laughs> The THN trade of the week goes to You Don't Say, a graphic novel from Top Shelf by Nate Powell. Love me some Nate Powell. Here's your solicit. A celebrity glares. A community burns. A child's heart breaks. A recipe summons a ghost. What? 
A dying woman makes her peace. An art form sustains the spirit. In You Don't Say, award-winning graphic novelist Nate Powell of the number one New York Times bestseller March Book 1 and March Book 2 and the Eisner Award-winning graphic novel of the year Swallow Me Whole collects a decade of powerful short works, autobiography, fiction, essay comics, collaborations, and more fill these thoughtful pitch-black pages comprising rare and previously unreleased material from 2004 to 2013. What pitch-black pages? What does that mean? I don't know. Nate Powell is great. He's incredible. I am excited to read Nate Powell original stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a great book. You know, necromancy always seems innocent enough after a few (laughs) drinks, but man, let me tell you, they just never come back the same. Joey, this corpse smells awful, and we're running real low on incense in the uh, ziggurat here. Let's say we banish Poindexter and head over to the THN forums to read about what the listeners are excited to read next week. I'm all for that. Once a month, Matt and I pry ourselves from the event tie-ins we've been reading to sit down with a graphic novel for a little segment we call Take a Look, It's in a Book. This month, Matt and I read The Realist, written and drawn by Asaf Hanukkah from Archaea slash Boom. The Realist is a reprinting of Asaf Hanukkah's webcomic about his life in Tel Aviv, Israel. This is the first time Hanukkah's series of vignettes has been collected and printed in English. Joe, could you relate to the life of The Realist? You know, uh, not really. Really? I mean, yes and no. There was a lot of stuff there that I absolutely could not relate to. Like, there was a lot of stuff that was clearly a reference to the violence going on in Tel Aviv. Definitely. And, you know, what it was like to have to pick up a move or be afraid that you were going to get gassed or hit with a bomb or whatever, whatever. But it also didn't necessarily start like that. Because I will say, going into this, I knew nothing about the book. Nothing. Oh, right. And And the first few vignettes that I read, and I keep calling them vignettes because they're all pretty much one page stories. Yeah, I mean, they're comic strips, right? Yeah. I went into this not knowing, and I thought this could be anywhere United States. Like, it did not occur to me until I got into it a bit and went, oh, wait a minute. And then I read, and then I like flipped to the back and went, oh, dude lives in Israel. Right, right. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not, that isn't to say that there is certainly. There are certainly universal themes mm-hmm. at work here, you know, um, uh, work life balance, right? Uh, struggling to provide with a family, struggling to relate to your wife. Uh, and the whole thing is written in these one page comic strips from like him putting up his web comic, basically. And it's, it's some of them are an entire day. Some of them are a moment of the day, but they all have a little theme that starts at the top. They have like a title and then each panel drags you through that theme i should say Mm -hmm. yeah the first thing that jumped out at me looking at the realist even before i really kind of got a sense of um his life and the way he was going to tell these stories is the gorgeous artwork it's incredible good lord man and it's not hyper detailed it's not it's detailed enough when he wants it to be it's detailed enough in his own way it's not cartoony either but it is definitely minimalist i think it's fair to say that he is a master of a lot of different styles of art and he very seamlessly blends many styles together. Oh, absolutely. 
and you might have a a strip that's um very clean lined very thin lined very minimal color scheme uh, where he's talking to a psychiatrist and then suddenly it's this hyper detailed drawing of him imagining himself turning into the hulk or something right so he switches back and forth between styles sometimes from strip to strip sometimes from panel to panel within the same strip and it's just a phenomenal looking book and even when i couldn't relate to what was going on and it wasn't even necessarily about not being able to relate so much as it was just flat out not understanding what he's referencing because this was published in a he was doing this for somebody i believe like there's references in the book about him well uh it could be that he was talking about trying to finish his paying work. Yeah. And then maybe no, the, maybe he, the comic strip was about him. He is an doing illustrator. Other work. Yeah. He is an illustrator. And this comic strip is about him working as an illustrator and trying to raise a family essentially. And the, the common themes that run through that are, you know, I mean, like you struggle for money, you, you struggle to feel like a success. You struggle to be a hero to your child and stuff like that. And that's what initially grabbed me. The, there is in the very beginning of the book, they're talking about him and his wife are talking about moving yeah. and we don't know why they're talking about moving, but we know they're talking about moving and the city is expensive and the city is dangerous. I took, I didn't know it was Israel first. So I just thought, well, yeah, all cities are kind of dangerous. I didn't get that. Like the city is being shelled sometimes and people walk into supermarkets and blow themselves up. And when I did get that, it added real weight to these stories where like he's just sitting with his son having breakfast or they're playing with toys or something like that. That in and of itself was well done and very well drawn. But when you consider in the background that they're sitting in a city having breakfast or playing with toys that could come under attack, like one of the most militarized cities in the world. There's a, there's a, there's a strip where he is taking his son to school. He's on the bus with his son and they keep encountering just horrific violence and he's making up stories like, Oh, here it is. They find a dead cat. Oh, he's just resting. Then on the bus or when they look out the window, they see a car accident. Oh, it's nothing. He spilled his ketchup blood everywhere. Uh, there's dudes getting in a knife fight in the alley. Oh, they're dancing, you know, and it's this escalating series of lies that he's telling his son to protect him from the real world and right. what's going on. And then the last little set of panels is them arriving home and the kid says, Oh look, a butterfly. And the dad freaks out and pushes himself in front of the son and says, it's not a butterfly. It's a moth. Don't worry. Dad's here. I'll protect you. <laughs> and it's just like you, he spent the entire strip lying to his son about like, People getting beheaded on television right. and real terrifying yeah, things, just acts of terrorism and terrible, terrible stuff. And then it's the same stuff that you and I would have to deal with at home. You know, it's like, exactly. He's you know, still, my wife freaked out just the other day. There's a bug in here. Come kill it. He's still just a father with a son. And it, it was the, it was the small, like benign moments in this book that really got me. Like there was one strip where he comes home after like his job that he really doesn't give a shit about, but he does it to pay money and whatnot. 
and he walks into the house and unzips his skin, like grabs a zipper at the top of his head yeah. and pulls it down and this adult skin falls away and there's a little kid that comes running out of it and runs to this desk with markers and just starts scribbling and drawing pictures. Like he's recapturing his youth. And it just gave me goosebumps, you know, like little moments like that when him and his wife decide they're going to move away, they're going to, they want to move to a different apartment in the city and they go and speak to the bank and he's very calmly sitting there and the bank, the The bank bank representative says to him, well, you've been denied the loan. loan." And in the next scene, his head is a mushroom cloud. And then you see him walking home with a head as a mushroom cloud and like sitting down at the dinner table and eating with his head as a mushroom cloud, but just like very calmly trying to internalize all this. So not to upset his wife. So not to upset his child. Hanukkah is so good at taking us into like his own head and expressing like how terrified he really is of all of this stuff going on around. Not just the violence, but just the real world, being an adult, being a father, being a husband. And he does not shy away from uh, the real problems that he's having with his wife. Now, we don't know how much of it is dramatized for the strip or whatever, but you get a sense that he's really pouring his heart out on the page. Even when his wife and I are his wife and I, he and his wife are feeling distant from one another. And yeah, they're, they're dealing with, you know, their schedules pulling them apart because they have two kids right. and, and one's got to go this way. One's got to go that way. They only, uh, they go out for a night on the town and they race to get a kid to the sitter. And then they race to catch their bus to get to the restaurant and they race to get their table. And finally they sit down, clink their glasses together. We did it. Cheers. And the next panel is they're silent, just looking at their yeah. phones. And it's like moments like it's just that. Like, oh my God. <laughs> they're way more, have, have much more weight than the moments of the violence and the gunfire and, you know, shell mortar attacks and stuff. It's almost like that has become a normal part of their life Yeah, that they just deal with. And these other hyper personal moments are the really scary ones. And man, the weight there that he brings to this is just incredible for me. It's that everything has more weight because of their circumstance. Yes. For him, you know, living in Tel Aviv, that's life. It's normal. And he's dealing with it. And yeah, it's bad and it's scary. Right. And he's worried, but he's still going through all the same stuff as you and I. Yeah. But for me, looking at this stuff, being completely unable to relate to living in a place where you are essentially war torn, constant threat of death. Yeah. And then for, to see him still go through the same bullshit that I have to deal with at home or at work or whatever. Right. Everything has a much larger impact because of that context. And it was just every, almost every strip was just like a punch in the gut. Yeah, they and really were. That's not to say that they're depressing. No, that it's a real beautiful slog to get through. But yeah, it's illustrated in such a gorgeous way. He is conveying so much emotion and he's being so expressive in his art. Sometimes the strips don't even have dialogue. It's just, yeah. A very simple drawing, uh, like you said, the one where he unzips his adult body and his child self steps out. Yeah. Or um, there's there's another one where like him and his son are playing with spaceships and he's talking to his wife and his wife basically says something about money and he walks out of the room. And as he walks out of the room, he's shrinking 
and shrinking and he becomes one of the little toy, toy spacemen space yeah. and he gets in the rocket. That's and like the, the, rocket f- takes, the second strip. Yeah. yeah. The rocket takes off and flies away. And I was just like, that is just beautiful. That's incredible. I can completely relate to just wanting to just run away from this escape into my comics, into my video games, into one of my old toys and <laughs> just fly into space. Right. You know? <laughs> There's one here. That is just a simple one page drawing and it's titled rain and it's just one panel. And on the right, you've got his son looking out the window, very excited, seeing the rain falling. And just to the left of him, you see Hanukkah looking up at the wall, seeing a water stain forming on the wall, like it's leaking into the place. And he's just got his hands on his head like, oh, what the what now? And you only see them from the back. And so that's all conveyed in just the just the body language, not any dialogue, not the look on their face, just the way their bodies are posed. And it's it was such a masterful way of expressing that feeling. Right. Well, not just but like the difference between the naivety of youth and how beautiful everything is and getting old and worrying about all this bullshit, you know, that you never used to have to worry about. I mean, that's basically what the whole book is about aging and it doesn't matter where he happens to be aging in a war torn city. And it's almost refreshing to see that. Yeah. He has to deal with the same crap you and I have to deal with on a daily basis. We can talk about this all day long, but you guys need to go out and buy this book. Oh, it was stunning. It, stunning. It's like 196 pages and it's 25 bucks. Hardcover. Yeah, it was really glorious, totally affordable. Now, I will say that there were some there were some things where it did take me out of it, where I when I didn't understand what he was talking about, it took me out of it. There were some instances, instances where he was talking about like racial stuff. And because I didn't understand the context, part of me went because I didn't. It seemed like he was being um, racially judgmental or whatever, but I don't have all of the information. I don't have all of the context. See, I don't I really, know everything he's talking about. I really like the brutal honesty of that. Right. I really like that. He's right. not afraid to come out and be like, look, when you, if you live in this situation, you are going to end up hating these people, whether you like it in yourself or not. And he struggles with that. Oh, for sure. For right. sure. And, you know, not having, not being able to connect to that particular feeling wasn't a, a detraction for me. It, no. it did give me pause. Me too. But that's a part of this uh, work of art is, is that it's not always comfortable. It's not always nice. It's not always happy. It's brutally honest. And those are the moments that just make it so much more rewarding as an experience to read. I loved it. This is too. a huge buy it. Yeah, I can't give this a bigger buy it. This is an incredible book. I had no idea what I was getting into. This is one that I'm going to revisit later on. I really enjoyed this. I I am thrilled that this was able to come to America. Kudos to Hanukkah and to Arkea yeah. for putting it out. Really? I, I really hope we get more from this artist because you it know, was a real treat. And there's been a lot of stuff that our Arkea has been doing through Boom that Joe and I haven't really understood. Like the whole... Uh, boom acquiring Arkea didn't seem to make a lot of sense. This is the kind of book that you would not see at boom. This is the kind of book that you would see maybe at Fanographics or top shelf or, or maybe top shelf or kitchen sink or something like that. Huge props to Arkea for putting this book out. Absolutely. Next month on take a look, we'll be reviewing the complete pistol whip from dark horse comics by Matt Kent and Jason Hall 
This is the book that brought Matt Kent into our lives. We didn't know. I forgot how long ago this was. Long time, man. We were at the other place. This was like in the 90s. Uh, no, this came out in, in the early 2000s. Did it? Okay, yeah. I thought it was late 90s. Well, uh, maybe. But it came out. We're not going to fact check that. It came out. <laughs> it came out 15 years ago or so. We didn't know Matt Kent. We didn't know what we were getting into. Excited to revisit it. This is the complete set of Pistol Whip stories with extra stuff. Dark Horse reissuing it. Excited to read it again. Go buy yours now. You can read along with us. You'll know when to turn the page when you hear this sound. Sort of break it it down like this. That is it for the Memorial Day weekend episode of THN. If you like podcasts that appreciate your service to this country, hosted by men that couldn't even hack it as Boy Scouts, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, you can leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. And if you want to help keep our 80s era team costumes in good repair, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twitternerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, guys, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, Skype, and the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the Ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can ask us to review your self-published comics. You can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them or... You can just rap about comics, kids. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. So please don't sue us, because you guys are getting paid. Next week, THN will be recording in front of a live audience at the first Omaha Comic-Con. They're calling it what? O-Con? O-Comic-Con. O-Comic-Con. So come see us live from noon to 4 p.m., at the Mac Center in Council Bluffs, Iowa. <laughs> yeah, it's cheaper than the Quest Center, okay? I get it. I get it. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Casey's grandmother, Carol Getz. Carol died on Wednesday at the age of 85, surrounded by family. And honestly, I'm just glad she went peacefully, having never heard the show and thinking it was a children's program. She would have been real <laughs> upset. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer might just sign you up for the Marines if you don't. This is a two-headed nerd. Signing off. Hoorah. 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 <laughs> I, I am Tommy Wiseau, director of Star the hit movie The Realm. I'd like to wish you a happy, happy Memorial Day. Be cool, enjoy yourself this beautiful day.